At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to episode number 98 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Mariner's utility man, Sam Haggerty, to chat about his clothing brand, Epic Soul, hitting a ball onto Utah Street, the thrill that was. And then reminiscing about ending the drought with after Cal's walk-off, he was on deck. A really fun story there with Sam. The Mariners also acquire Jorge Polanco. We'll react. Before we start the show, here's your reminder that if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to download, make sure to leave us a five-star review, follow the show. That's all over on our audio podcast. It helps us out a bunch. You know what else helps us out a lot? If you like, comment, subscribe over on YouTube. That's where our video podcast is. You can check out our social media over on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday evening, January 29th. And the obvious trade fit actually happened. That's so unlike Jerry DePoto. We said this trade makes the most sense. Jorge Polanco, position of need, fits their mold, like isn't going to cost one of the big starters. It just makes too much sense. But all this time passed and we said, well, maybe they're going to go a different route. Only to circle back and say, well, it was always Jorge Polanco, as the kids say. Let's lay out the trade. Apparently, this trade has been in the works for quite a while, and that Jerry has, I would assume, been on the phone a lot of this offseason trying to make this work, and the Twins and Mariners finally made this happen. So the Mariners will get Jorge Polanco. The Twins will get Anthony Desclafani and his entire salary. Darren Bowen, Gabby Gonzalez, $500,000, and cue the sad music, Lyle. Our friend Justin Topa is heading to Minnesota. Hmm. I know that part just from a personal standpoint, non-baseball perspective, it, that really hurts. And that sucks because we just had him on a couple weeks ago. He was awesome. You never even got to meet him. I know you were looking forward to meeting him when we go to spring training. Yeah, hmm. I'm I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I, I mean, it's not even just for the person and the, the impact on the Mariners bullpen will, will yeah. definitely be felt. We'll get into that as well. But I was I'm a little disappointed. I didn't get to meet Justin in person. It, that stunk baseball sense good trade good trade you do this the well the the way i look at this trade right now right off the bat so what the mariners did was first off they acquired the player jorge polanco and i think the talent of that was used for to acquire jorge polanco was justin topa darren bowen who is kind of, he's kind of a throw in there but i mean his value was used to used to usher the um usher the talent of Jorge Polanco in and then a little bit of what Gabby Gonzalez was thrown in there for the what Gabby Gonzalez was thrown in there for is so the Mariners could find a way to dump the 12 million dollars on Anthony Desclafani's contract and send him in this deal as well 
So you trade a prospect to get rid of a bunch of a bunch of money off your books and then take on the money with Polanco and give up the appropriate value for what is essentially two years of of control if Jorge Polanco everything goes as as well as this upcoming season. I like it because value wise, you do this trade every single time. Those are similar words to the ones you uttered all the way back when, man, it's crazy we're getting close to 100 episodes. But one of our first episodes, it was after the Teoscar Hernandez trade. They traded Eric Swanson to get him. They traded Adam Mako too. But you were adamant on that episode. And you said, when you have a chance to trade big league relievers for everyday starters with impact, every single time you do it, as much as we're going to miss Justin Topa, again, from a personal standpoint, we're really sad to see him go. Baseball-wise, it makes too much sense. There has been way too much shuffling and plugging and playing and trying to duct tape issues over at second base over the last few years. Honestly, since Robinson Cano left, since Robbie left, they've been trying to duct tape issues at second base. Now they have got their solution. They have a true solution at second base in Jorge Polanco, who over the last three years has been one of the best offensive second basemen in baseball. We've complained, too, about the Mariners' lack of production on the infield. How how nice is it for them to go out and, and get a proven guy like Jorge Blanco? Technically, Colton Wong was proven last season, but with the season he had, it didn't, didn't seem like it at all. But, but the rest of these guys on this infield, Lyle, if you just think about how they came to the Mariners and how they were trying to get that production. Ty France was blocked in the Padres organization. He was stuck in AAA unproven at the big league level. The Mariners trade for him, been the starting first baseman ever since. Not proven in any sense. J.P. Crawford was at a low point of his career in Philadelphia when he was traded over here to the Mariners. Has resurrected his career there. And then you look over at third, I mean, two guys that were sort of cast off by organizations and Josh Rojas traded to the Mariners. And then Luis Urias with both the Brewers and the Red Sox was about to get DFA'd this offseason and ends up on the Mariners roster. So now instead of trying to go after something like that, to fix the second base hole, as you said, they have gone out and they have acquired an all-star and someone who hits at the top of the lineup in good lineups. The Twins had a good lineup last season, and Jorge Polanco spent most of the time in that lineup in the two-hole or in the five-hole, and I think that's where he could fit in with the Mariners lineup as well. I have some projected lineups I'd like to get to, but those are two spots you could see Polanco fitting in. He's going to hit for power. He's going to walk. Yeah, he might strike out a little bit, but he's going to have about a 120 WRC plus if he's healthy and four wins above replacement. That that's a that's as good of a second base option you can have in Major League Baseball. It's great. It's it's truly truly a big time impact trade for the Mariners. It is. He has to stay healthy, and this is now this gets to the root of the problem. If you want to look at the glass half empty sense, is basically every guy the Mariners have traded for this winter, aside from Luke Rayleigh has injury problems. Actually, even Rayleigh was injured parts of last year. Most of the guys they have traded for have injury problems. Garver, Hanniger, Polanco. Um, yeah, those are the big three bats they've gotten this winter. And if you want to throw Rayleigh in there too, it's the same thing. They have to stay healthy. Now, that being said, before we start shuffling or before we start reading out these hypothetical lineups, you mentioned being a premier second baseman. I talked about he's one of the best second basemen in baseball. Let's look at this. Over the last three years, leaders in WRC plus among second basemen from 2021 to 2023. Here's your list. Jose Altuve's at one. Luis Arise is at two. Brandon Lau's at three. Cattell Marte's at four. Jorge Polanco's at five. Fifth. Fifth best second baseman in all of baseball over the last three years. Did you notice what name wasn't on there, Tej? I was about to ask you, Lau, where's Marcus Simeon? 
Hmm. Let me scroll down. He is below Jorge Polanco. Yeah, you heard that right. Marcus Semien, despite a phenomenal 2021, a phenomenal 2023, below Jorge Polanco. This is an impact second baseman the Mariners are getting. They gave up an okay amount to get him. This is a very good trade. This is me puffing my chest out at Scott Boris. See, you couldn't keep him from us. We upgraded. Yeah. (laughs) Woo! Dare I say, uh, I don't know if I want to drop an F-bomb at Scott Boris or not. Whatever. Everybody knows how I feel about him. We, We know we're not Scott Boris fans on this podcast. But yes, Jorge Polanco, good trade. Here's another thing about this trade. The mayor's essentially, again, come out cast neutral in this trade. And that's a benefit because they still have money to go fix some holes if they're willing to go spin it. Now, they have given no indication this offseason outside of Mitch Garver. They intend on spending any money, period, on things outside the organization. So that is yet to be seen. But in theory, if they could go spend some more money, they can now go, if they want to go overpay a bullpen armor to someone who's more stable, to go pitch in that bullpen, that would be great. There's an issue right now at the Mariners' bullpen, Lyle, after this trade because there are only four proven members of that bullpen left after this season. And the more I'm thinking about it, I, there is two proven leverage arms, period, and Munoz and Matt Brash. That's it. Those are the only two guys there that you every single night would go like, okay, I trust that guy in the eighth and the ninth inning. Saucedo and Spire on a, any given night you think are pitching in the 6th or 7th. The Mariners need more options at the back end of that bullpen with Topa gone. Topa, I trusted in both those spots because he didn't allow hard hit ball. He didn't allow hard, high hard hit rate, a lot of ground balls. Perfect solution in the bullpen. Well, that's gone now. And now you have a whole mishmash of cast-offs and low, low shine, sparkly, not very not very well-known guys that are coming to spring training to fight for those bullpen spots. I'd rather not try and fill four bullpen spots with four of those guys. That That's risky. I'm sure people are going to bring up Prelander Baroa, but he's totally unproven. He could be that. And I'm guessing if the Mariners are trading Justin Topa, they believe that this is the year Baroa can become that. But that doesn't change the fact that he has only thrown a couple of big league innings. So I'm sure he's not going to start the year as a back-end leverage guy. I mean, we'll see how he looks in spring training. But I'm guessing, one, I'm guessing he will make the team out of camp now. But I bet you they don't start him by throwing him in the ninth inning when you've got the meat of the opposing lineup up. That's going to be Munoz and Brash. And then as Baroa, we think, continues to prove himself, he might get more chances. Look, and we should say about Saucedo and Spire, both those guys are really good. They're very valuable left-handed arms. They're just... They play a specific role. And what their role is, is they're not really eighth, ninth inning guys where they come in and slam the door all the time saying, no matter who's up, the ball's yours. Like you're going in against the meat of the lineup. And Saucedo closed the game or two last year and he did his job. He did a good job of it. No, nonetheless. But they are more suited for around that sixth, seventh inning role. When you need guys later in the game, you probably want guys that throw a little bit harder than them. And some guys that just have more swing and miss stuff than they do. I mean, look, look, Spire Spire gets guys to chase a ton. Those guys have good stuff, but it's just not quite what you think of when you think of a back-end arm. Can I inquire about a Ryan Stanek who's sitting out there on the the free agent market just kind of sitting there? You were talking about this pre-recording. You're like, I just realized he is not signed anywhere yet. If if you're talking about leverage, if you're talking about throws gas, if you're talking about a top-end reliever, 
that's not going to cost a Josh Hader amount of money. That would be Ryan Stanek. Please. Somewhat one more proven arm, please. Because let me just throw this question out to, to our listeners and to you, Lyle. Do you trust what the Mariners have in their bullpen right now? I do like four of the guys. Again, I think leverage-wise, there are two proven ones. But you do need more. If, you're, if you want that bullpen to be as good as it's been in the last few years, which has been one of their major strengths, no, you need more. And here's the other side of this. The Mariners essentially come out cash neutral with this trade. Between Descofani's money, between Polanco's money, it's pretty close. And whether Jerry DePoto holds to his word or not, and by DePoto we should say ownership, when they say payroll is going to go up in 2024, we still haven't seen it yet. In fact, they are way lower than where they ended at the end of 2023. So they have money left to spend. Where could it go? Well, they could still sign Blake Snell. They could still trade an arm for Isak Paredes. That's probably not happening at this point. I'll still float it out there because it's possible. It's very unlikely. So more likely, yeah, go spend on some bullpen arms. Usually the Mariners don't do that. They're very, very keen on finding guys with value that don't cost a lot and they turn them into stud arms. But they're in a situation right now where they do need at least one more high leverage arm. If Baroa becomes a high leverage guy and you sign Stanek, then you have four. But you've got to start the year with at least three guys like that that you really rely on at the back end of games. And Stanek would make a lot of sense. You got about $25 million to work with, give or take, uh, on what's remaining of the budget if it's if it's going to be $145 million. So why not? Like, it, the, the position players, as we think right now, are set. You floated the Paredes idea out there, but they, again, just traded for an infielder. So, prob- I mean, it's probably not happening, as cool as it would be. The, the, the like, hype dream's out the window. Uh, there's a reason also- I floated it. There's a reason I floated it out there. Yeah. It's like, a, well, it could still happen. Again, likelihood, no. It would be cool. Probably not. They could use more starters. The problem is there's no one they would – You can't, this isn't a situation where you're trading for established or signing established big league starters because they would have to be in your rotation, and um, that's not going to happen right now. They, they have five guys in their rotation plus Emerson Hancock. If they need more depth, it would, be, it would come – in the minor leagues, I think. So if you're not going to, you wouldn't spend on your lineup and you're not currently going to spend on your starting rotation outside of the organization and free agency, then what's left is the bullpen. It's the only thing that makes sense. And if you have money left to spend, like if it's the last thing you're going to spend on, okay, great. But we're at the last step. So go, go spend that. Now there's still the scenario we threw out there where if the Mariners sign Blake Snell and just keep all six starters, because if Wu's going to be on an innings limit, you start him in the bullpen, then you figure it out from there. I guess that's still possible, but more likely they're sticking with the five starters they have right now and they'll use the money elsewhere if they continue to spend. Yeah, Ryan Stanek, I mean, this guy's been so good year after year and he doesn't slow down either. He would make that would be quite the signing. Although even signing Stanek still room still leaves a lot of room for this team to spend. Maybe they do more of that toward the trade deadline when they say payroll is going to go up. Maybe it happens there. But they still have a lot of room to grow. I think this lineup right now is a very good lineup. It's better than what than it was in 2023. This is a lineup that can truly compete. But there is still room to add if they choose to. It's just a matter of, well, do they? Here's the lineup. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's do it. I have two different drafts of a lineup because Jorge Polanco spent most of last season hitting 
out of the two hole or the five hole in the twins lineup. So I created a lineup on both of those aspects on both those spots for Jorge Polanco. First one, he's batting out of the five hole. You have JP in the one spot, Julio two, Cal three, Garver four, Polanco five, Rayleigh six, Ty France seven, Mitch slash Dom in the eight hole, and then Rojas or Luis Urias in the nine spot. Now, Polanco were to hit second, I bump Julio up to the leadoff spot. So it goes Julio, Polanco, Cal, Garver, JP hits fifth, Rayleigh hits sixth, Ty France hits seventh, Mitch slash Dom hits eighth, and Rojas or Luis Urias hits ninth. Do you like any either of those better? I think I like the first one a little bit better. Neither are bad. I think I like the first one a little better. Okay. okay. What do you like? So here's the thing I think about. If Polanco's a better hitter this upcoming season than J.P. Crawford is, hit him too? You, you, you would have to, right? There are people who think J.P. Crawford's going to regress. It's going to be hard for J.P. to put up a 134 WRC plus this upcoming season in 2024. Polanco is good for about a 120 in, in a good season that he's healthy. So is J.P. going to cross the 120 mark? We'll have to see. I would bet you they start the year with JP hitting leadoff. I think JP will still be around that 120 range. I do. I don't think he's going to totally regress. I think those driveline results are here to stay for the most part. But if Polanco proves to be a better bat than JP, you know what they can do a few weeks into the year? They can shuffle it up. But I think to start the year, you'll see JP in the leadoff spot, Julio at two, and yeah, you'll see Polanco more at the five or six range. Would you consider swapping Polanco and Cal if Cal has some strikeout issues or gets off to a slow start? I mean, I think the three holes not the not the end of the world. So you go the first four spots of Julio or JP, Julio, Polanco, Garver, then Cal in the five spot. I because I know there are people in our comments who think Cal should hit lower. Well, okay, if you want Cal to hit lower, does hitting Polanco third instead of Cal make you more intrigued? especially with a 10% walk rate there. Does Polanco feel like a three hitter to you? Or maybe I'm overthinking this. He just doesn't feel like a three hitter. Mm, not really. Cal Raleigh's not really a three hitter either. Garver is a three hitter, but we're not sure how much Mitch Garver is going to stay on the field. Yeah. So yeah, that's why we, you put him in the four spots. Maybe. Okay. So you go JP one, Julio two, Garver three, Cal four, Polanco four, five because yeah polanco is not a four hitter no so you so you hit him five that makes sense okay or you could even you could even hit him six if you like rayleigh's power a little bit better out of the five spot you could do that too so this is a good this lineup though you're right it's better and it's less strikeout prone the problem is it's not as reliable health wise and that's the risk you run from how that for how this lineup is constructed you're going to have to rely on a lot of guys to have remarkably healthy seasons for this to all work out. If it does work out, this is a chance to be a top to an easily top 10 lineup and very productive through the, I mean, you could go be productive through the nine hole. I'm mapping it out and looking at the, the numbers uh, from last season of where these guys are hitting JP 134 WRC plus Julio 126 Cal 112. Garver 138, Polanco 118, Rayleigh 130. That's the first six in your lineup. That's a pretty elite first six hitters. And then after that, you expect Ty France to go a little bit higher than his 104. We're optimistic with Mitch, either Mitch staying healthy in the eighth spot and hitting well, or Dom Canzone 
turning his expected numbers into actual results and hitting out of that eight spot. And then Rojas and Urias, we've already talked about how much we like Josh Rojas in the nine hole. And then you add on top of that a potential bounce back for Luis Urias. That's really, that's really looking up. It's a really good lineup. Look, Polanco played 80 games in 2023, but 104 in 2022. He has to stay on the field. If he does, this team is absolutely better than it was in 2023. And all this lineup shuffling we're doing and the hypotheticals, it's a good problem to have because what we're saying here is there's a lot of really good bats that could hit in a lot of different spots. That's exciting. This is a good lineup. And be excited about this lineup if, if you're somebody listening and you're a little skeptical. It's a good lineup. I can't complain. I th- Jerry did a good job, but now, like, I still think there are some finishing touches out there with the bullpen and with spending. They can't get away with not spending. They cannot do it. We cannot get fed. The payroll is going to be higher, and then it's like we are still sitting here, and it's not. Yeah, they are better, but now that like the money will have to be spent between now and August second of this year, it will need to get spent. Um, like that is on the record. I think that is a a unison agreement amongst all factions of Mariners fandom. That that payroll by August second should be at one hundred and forty five million dollars. Period. The only thing is, can they really spend? $20 million on bullpen arms, if not more. It seems like a lot. They can sign Stanek and then trade for whatever they need to at the deadline. If they have to acquire $10, $15 million worth of players at the deadline, okay, because that would that would make them better because pay, players who get paid that much money are usually that good. So, yeah. And, and if it works out, it works out. And then they can actually add at the deadline and not be like, well, we need to get better, but I don't have any money left to spend. And then they throw out an opportunity to actually go get better. So if that's what they're planning on doing, okay. But there's money to spend now, and there can be money to spend at the deadline as well. So go do it. Agreed. One last thing we should probably mention about Polanco before we get into what the Mariners gave up a little bit. Not a great defender. We we do have to address the one elephant in the room. Really not a great defender, but... He does just play second base, so maybe it'll work out okay. Maybe Perry Hill will work with them. And similar to how we talked about the Arise hypothetical, they are obviously not trading for Polanco for his glove. That being said, it probably still needs to be addressed. Sure. And I'm going to give the same response I gave to Arise. Okay. Well, well we they're going to have that, a guy but... hitting fifth now. <laughs> a guy hitting fifth now. <laughs> so. Yes, correct. But will I bitch sh- when he boots a ball? Absolutely. But you know what? Right now, the smiles on my face, the vibes are good. Okay, fair enough. I, I will just remind you that we kind of kicked the can down the road when we saw the Colt Long trade, and we was like, eh, he doesn't really play defense, but whatever, they're trading for him for that. But he did. Not- he no, used no. to. And the- Correct. And But then not only did he not hit, but we saw him try to make – relay throws to the plate as the cutoff man and they were getting two bounces to the plate so well, as long as jorge polanco does not throw a ball like colton wong i think we'll we'll be, do better than that yeah so jorge polanco's arm strength by baseball savants in the 22nd percentile which is not great by any standards it's very below average but colton wong was in the first so if you look at it like that upgrade and when you're at second base you don't need to have one in the 99th percentile you you just need to have, be able to get it over to first base. That's right. all. Agreed. 
So that's okay. like it's 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 fine with Jorge Polanco. It's like really it's such a non-issue. We like we understand what it's going to take to upgrade this lineup, and they've done it. And you sacrifice some defense on the other end, right? We talked about Topo a little bit. Obviously, we should highlight that the Twins are getting a phenomenal reliever. That's a pretty good one-two punch between him and Johan Duran at the back end of that rotation, or sorry, the back end of that bullpen, because Topo. Doesn't give up hard hit balls, gets a lot of weak contact, was really, really effective last year. His profile suggests it should carry over from year to year. So that is the main piece back for the Twins, at least for the time being. Look, Anthony Descalfani is a back-end starter, okay? Darren Bowen has a little bit of upside, like we said, okay? The one other guy we should talk about is obviously Gabby Gonzalez, who is a top 100 prospect, has been in the Mariners' prospect ranks and talks for a while now. But I will say two things. If you're that upset about giving up Gabby Gonzalez, I do scratch my head a little bit. And I also would read you his slash line, which is he hit, I won't read you his full slash, but he hit 215 in Everett last year. So high A, he's hitting 215 with a WRC plus below 100. And he's not really putting up high exit velos either. So I would rather have Jorge Polanco. There's a lot of really young, exciting prospects in the system. Uh, like... <sighs> just don't understand how you would get wrapped up around someone who's not even the top 100. I think people, people think Gabby's going to get into the top 100 this year. And that's great for Gabby. He's going to get some awesome recognition and such, but uh, losing, getting wrapped up over losing Gabby Gonzalez for someone that you could have in the middle of your infield for two seasons, hitting at a well above average rate seems, seems right. So if you want, like, if you're trying to be upset about this, like, you're probably finding a reason to be mad at either Jerry or the Mariners or something else. I just like, I can't, I cannot get worked up over trading Gabby Gonzalez. How many, how many times this off season have we proposed a trade that had Gabby Gonzalez in it? A lot of them. A lot. Yeah. (laughs) So when he actually gets traded, like we, we can't, we can't be upset about it. Right. And if you're somebody that says, well, the Mariners don't have a lot of outfield prospects now. Let's, pump the brakes on that. Well, first off, Johnny Farmello is an outfielder. They just took him in the first round. And not all these infielders are going to be in the infield. There's just too much of a logjam. Ty Pete may play the outfield long-term. Dewell Joseph may play the outfield long-term. Like there's going to be more outfielders in the system long-term. And then it's not an issue. So Harry I, Ford. I, I'm with you. I, I can't lose sleep over Gabby Gonzalez. Who did you just say? Harry Ford. Yeah, another guy that could, could play be. the outfield. So... And it's taking away from the fact, oh, your star center fielder is 23. Um, And the guy next to him in the outfield who you envision when you traded for him is a part of your future Dom Canzone's only 26 and has a boatload of control. And Jerry, at least right now, envisions Dom Canzone being a part of the Mariners' future for a long time. So that's two spots right there. And Luke Rayleigh's very club controllable. There's another. He is. Yeah, not as young, but club controllable, yes. Yeah. So, so I think I, they're doing okay. Worrying about outfield prospects three years from now, like that's such a 2021 thing. Like we got to get past this. The time is right freaking now. Yeah. Right now. I don't care what happens in three years. Right. And look, if, if they had given up Cole Young, if they had given up Colt Emerson, if they had given up Felmy, we're having a different conversation. But to give up Gabby Gonzalez, again, who may be very good in the long term, but you can't wait around for a guy that, despite some high upside, put up less than 100 WRC plus in high A 
and be worried about it because what you need right now is impact on the infield. That's what Jorge Polanco is going to do. If he's healthy, he can be a four-win player and a top five second baseman in the sport. I'll take that guy. I agree. And even if they traded one of those other guys, like it might sting a tiny bit more, but I can't, again, can't get, I can't get wrapped up over prospects anymore. I can't do it. Like it's time. It's time to move on from that, from, from that mindset in this sense. Yeah. Prospects are good to have. And some of these guys may end up being very impactful, but again, you need impact guys at the big league level now. And that's what Polanco is. Okay. Let's take a quick pause to talk to you guys about our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 over in Kirkland. You've heard us talk about it before. You're going to continue to hear us talk about it. We love hanging out there, going with our friends, playing some pool, watching some games, and also getting the benefits of a really good food and drink menu, full food and drink menu. And if you head over there during happy hour, you get some great deals. It's Monday through Friday happy hour, 2 to 6 p.m., it features $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. There's also 22 TVs in the place, so you want to go watch some games. Head over there and do that. A great time with your friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. So, three big leaguers in a row. Sam Haggerty's on the show this week. That's pretty cool. And Sam has his own unique stamp on things. I feel like when, whenever we talk to athletes, people want us to ask about all their baseball stuff. The coolest thing I think about Sam from, from what we learned, and this was right at the beginning of our discussion, is his clothing brand. People, professional athletes usually have some pretty good style, but not all of them style themselves or run a clothing line. Well, Sam does, and he puts a lot of really good thought and a lot of really good detail that I didn't even think was was in there when he was explaining it to us. And I thought that was super interesting and super cool. So his brand Epic Soul has been quite successful, and he's quite passionate about it. So it, it, that was really, really interesting to learn about. And that on top of all of his baseball things, I mean, it's it was him and Ken Griffey Jr. Lyle, the first two Mariners ever to hit one out onto Utah Street. That's quite a duo. Sam also had the royalty of being in the hangover lineup after the playoff clinch. So you better believe we talked to him about that. Yeah, another awesome guy. We've been so lucky with the players we've had on the show. Really fun to talk to. We're going to link all of the Epic Soul stuff, which is Sam's clothing brand in the description. So if you want to check that out, whether it's on social media or the clothing brand website itself, we certainly recommend you do that. We know Sam would appreciate it if you did that. It's Epic Soul. But in our interview as a whole, just another awesome guy. You can see why he's yet another fan favorite. With that, let's get to our conversation with Sam Haggerty. All right, we've got Sam Haggerty on with us, Mariners infielder and outfielder. Also started the clothing brand Epic Soul, and we're really hyped to have him on. So what does an offseason look like for Sam Haggerty? Uh, you know, I, I try to spend a lot of time with friends and family. Um, you know, I really don't travel that much in the offseason due to how much I travel uh, in season. So, you know, I really like to, to be home and, and try to live like a relatively simple life, uh, you know, work out, work on a company. Um, you know, early nights, cook dinners, just, just try to live a little simpler in the off season. Simple life in warm weather. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> How long have you made Arizona your off season home? You know, I got drafted in 2015 and I moved here immediately. Um, it felt like the right place for me to become a better baseball player. Uh, I, I had gone to high school in Denver and that's where my parents still had lived. 
but I, I just felt facilities, resources that I could do more here in a warm weather state, um, as well as I was drafted by the Cleveland Guardians and I used their spring training facility for my off-season workout. And again, you know, just trying to maximize my resources and, and give me the best chance to make it to the big leagues. So you're down there in Arizona and there's, we were going to ask you a couple of questions I know about your clothing brand and, you know, talking to some ASU kids, but speaking of it, I'm wearing the Sun Devil hoodie. If you mm-hmm. had your eyes on Arizona for a while, I know you're a New Mexico guy. Were you like, were you looking to try and play college baseball there too? Was that, was that, uh, was that something you thought about? I mean, absolutely. Unfortunately, TJ, I was just not good enough. They, uh, they wanted nothing to do with me uh, coming from, you know, Denver, Colorado, cold weather state. Uh, so I, I really didn't have many offers coming out of high school. And I tried then to go to Arizona for junior college baseball. Um, they have a very good uh, junior college, you know, league here in, uh, a, uh, in Arizona. And a lot of those kids end up going to U of A and to ASU. Um, fortunately for me, New Mexico kind of swooped in late my senior year and put an offer on the table. I, I couldn't really turn down and the rest is history. Sam, I, I want to make you feel a little bit better as, as two people who watched four seasons of baseball at Arizona state and in its current state, then you were definitely good enough. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Definitely good enough. Well, speaking of ASU, we'd love to get into all the Epic Soul stuff here in a minute, but you were on campus just recently mm-hmm. doing some promotional stuff with the clothing brand. You were talking yep. to ASU kids. As two people who know, there are a lot of Pacific Northwest natives that go to school there, like the two of us did. Was there any Mariners fans that saw you standing on campus, came up to you? It's like, wait, aren't you Sam Haggerty? Do you have that at all? You know, guys, I just don't think I'm I'm a big enough name. I don't think I'm I'm a tall enough or, or big enough stature. I mean, nobody probably even thinks anything more of me than a student there. To be honest with you, uh, I think I blend in quite well. So, so people, when people you tell people you play major league baseball, they're like, "Are you most sure?" Likely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like I can walk around pretty much anywhere and never be mistaken for a professional athlete. Well, so that's what I was going to say is if it was a Mariners fan specifically, it wouldn't be sho- I wouldn't be shocked if somebody recognized you. But if they weren't from Seattle, I was going to say yeah. most people probably thought you just blend right in. Yeah, they, they'd have to be probably diehard Mariners fans um, you know, to recognize me. Okay. Sam, I, I got to say your clothing brand is 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 super cool. It the message it brings as as LC will dive into this here. The message you try and get across with your clothing brand, I think, is is pretty unique because a lot of clothes at, at bigger company uh, at bigger companies really, uh, I don't know, they kind of bland it down a little bit. But mm-hmm. you seem to like try and be super specific with your brand and, and the message it sends. Uh, like, what is what are you trying to do with that? How is uh, like what part of your creative side comes out of this brand? I mean, I, I think it's it's rooted in in baseball in, in people that I've met throughout my career. You know, from from all over the globe, really. Um, you know, and we're we're just all so unique, and, and we have so much to offer. And the experiences and the stories that we bring are are, are beautiful, and what make us unique and individual. And I'm really trying to, you know, reveal and and portray that uniqueness by using a single word. Uh, so we always at Epic Soul, you take a single word 
and you ask everybody their perspectives, their opinions, um, what it makes them think of. And by using something that I think is relatively, you're not able to debate. You can look up in a dictionary and I can tell you exactly what it means, but then we bring in our, our experiences, our personal biases, our where we're at in our lives. And then I think you start to find something beautiful in, in the, the revelation of how unique we all are and, and how important it is that we understand each other's perspectives and in how we view the world and how we view ourselves and life. And so it's really just about acknowledging the fact that we're all different and we're all unique and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm trying to use a a word to convey that message. So I'm going to turn the question back on you now. And this word is posted on your website. What's the one word you use to describe yourself? You know, I, this was a question I asked myself when I started it. And the the word that kept coming back to me was consistent. Um, You know, it's ever since I was a little kid, it was, you know, I I never missed a practice, never miss an assignment. uh, Don't miss a day of school. Like it was, and, and not saying that I was good at all those practices or got good grades all the time. It was just, you know, I held myself to a high standard of just being able to show up and answer the door every single day good or bad, sick or healthy, um, you know, and I, and I think that's probably been really the my greatest asset to, you know, becoming a professional baseball player. Like I said, I didn't get recruited at 17 and 18, and it was a smaller school in New Mexico, and then I was a late-round pick, and, you know, I've just tried to be very consistent with working on myself, working on my craft, and hopefully that that, that breeds good results. I, I, I'm so I'm, I'm still curious about the the process of all this. So if if you guys want to go, our listeners want to go check out Sam's brand, Epic Soul, and go check out their website and just how you guys, so like the the creative ideas around the 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 clothes you bring. So I think the latest word you guys are using is endure. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So what's when you have that word, how do you then take that word and then go off and go design something? So it starts with me and I'll just spend my nights, you know, I'll start with the definition and, you know, some of these words got four or five definitions and then I'll maybe pivot to the etymology of the word and look to how it developed over time. And then, you know, I'll try to like develop a list of movies and shows that kind of embody the word and music and uh, fictional references. And I mean, really nothing is out of the realm, anything that I can potentially tie to that word. Uh, I, I will put in a big old like uh, database file and I'll begin then writing about that word. You know, my perspectives, what I hear, what I think of, um, you know. And so at that point, then it goes over to my creative director. He begins to kind of go through my research and my writings. And his job is to bring visual elements to some of those abstract concepts, um, abstract ideas and from there, you know, we go through a process of creating some mock-ups, designs, and then ultimately we pick a garment, you know, a black hoodie like the one I'm currently wearing, and we populate that garment with words and pictures. And at the end, you know, we're just trying to get a garment that, you know, can be a point of uh, conversation between people at a coffee shop, at a school, at a college. Um, and at the end, that's, that's sort of what we're trying to produce. 
We'll link everything in our bio for anybody listening or watching that's interested. Also, if you want to see Sam's sweatshirt, be sure to watch on YouTube. But how did you take all these ideas that you had and decide, okay, I want to express this through clothing? Because some people tweet out inspirational quotes or post on their social media accounts. Some people go out and talk about it. But like, how did you decide through clothing apparel you wanted to express your message? I, I thought it was I thought it was a medium that really could move through society with relative ease and um, and really like a I, I didn't want my face to be all over it um, and the stigma that comes with being a baseball player or you know I just wanted a I wanted a piece that could move through society and anybody who saw it could then have a conversation about it whether it be with that person or with their own thoughts. Um, and I thought it was maybe the easiest, most digestible form to kind of have these conversations um, as opposed to like public speaking or doing a blog or, or something like that. We, we have some of these elements, but ultimately I thought clothes was the easiest to move through a community. Have you always been a fashion person? No, not not particularly like it, it, that's what was kind of unique and what a lot of my friends and family would say is like, you're, you are not yourself inherently fashion or driven by clothes. Um, you know, so I think that's probably why I landed on hoodies and t-shirts because we all need those. And, you know, I'm wearing those all the time. Uh, but again, it was just a medium chosen, I, I think, for what I thought was the most convenient way to, to get through a community. Have you gotten any clubhouse feedback? Yeah, the boys, the boys really like it. Uh, the boys wear it all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm always trying to surprise them with uh, different clothes, different colors. So with all that, you've started to do some content through Epic Soul, too, and through your guys' social media pages. So I have a couple follow-ups with it. But the first one I've got is, do you have any background in media? Zero. <laughs> okay. Zero. Just learning on the fly. Like, you seem like a natural, like, from the stuff that you've done, at least the times you've been on camera with it. Well, I, I definitely will take that. Um, that makes me very happy because my social media team sometimes tells me I need to loosen up a little bit, uh, maybe a little too rigid, a little too stiff. You know what? We work on the exact same stuff. Like the two of us, we've been, you know, we have a background in sports media and we've been doing the podcast a little over a year, but even still, like, like we say all the time, like be loose, be out there, don't be rigid. Like, especially when we do the stuff out at the field or, or with fans, which is what I wanted to segue to because there was you did a little mini mic thing. It looked like at an outdoor shopping mall somewhere where you stood out and you, you know, you talked to strangers just walking by and said, Hey, will you answer a question? Mm -hmm. Was it nerve wracking at all to just walk up to random strangers and say, Hey, will you do this? Uh, no, I don't, I don't have much of an issue with that. I mean, I, I try to forget the cameras there. I try to forget anything. I, I really am just trying to have a conversation with you, pick your brain, um, you know, kind of expand my own horizons about, you know, what this person may think and where I'm currently at and where they're currently at. And I just find that stuff so unique, the the little nuances and subtleties between all of us. Well, I'm going to give Sam some credit here because what he's doing in a true public setting in a place where I don't know people go shop and just spending time with family and focused on a certain thing is Definitely different than us walking out to the pen and being like, so who's intoxicated enough to talk? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's what I was going to say is since we do some of this mini mic stuff too, not just with the players, but we'll do some man on the street stuff with fans. Once we kind of got into the flow of it, at least my perspective on it is 
look, players know media people might come up to them sometimes and they might want to talk. So they're expecting it to walk up to random fans at Mariners games who are probably just standing around in a circle with their friends and say, hey, you guys want to hop on camera and answer a question? That honestly became more nerve wracking than talking to the players because, again, they're, they're totally not expecting it and it's way out mm-hmm. of left field, which is why I was curious if you had that, that same feeling at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always kind of going, hey, I'll give you a free T-shirt, too, if you talk to me. <laughs> so there's a, there's a bit of an incentive for it as well. Okay, I like that. And then along with that, now you're starting a mini podcast series, too. Like, like what are you hoping to, like, message-wise to display and express through that? That is, that is our attempt to kind of reveal some of my own process about the research and the, the writings and kind of those, on, those conversations we have behind the scenes at Epic Soul, um, as opposed to just giving them the, the garment and, and kind of trying to let that stand on its own. We figured it would probably be better to, to kind of show our audience a little bit of these conversations we have um, the thought process that went behind a garment and, you know, the inspiration behind one and my creative directors on it. And, you know, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant artist. Um, he did a mural in downtown Phoenix. Uh, we're getting ready to reveal that to the world. Um, wait till you see that it's, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, he talks about his inspirations and, you know, where, where he drew this from and, you know, and it, all of it, we try to circle back to it was rooted in a single word and that's just how you know diverse we all are are you allowed to say where the mural is yeah it's at uh, uh grand grand avenue and van buren in downtown phoenix check it out hmm. i think that's Gorgeous. close to closer we went to school i think yeah, yeah so it's definitely downtown phoenix yeah well, so I was going to say the, the journalism school at ASU is in downtown Phoenix. So we would drive down there and take a lot of our classes. So Van Buren, that does sound right, right by yeah. where we were. Then you so. guys were close. Okay. Yeah. So Sam, I have one last Epic Soul question for you. We talked about the word you guys are currently focused on. What's the favorite word you have found that has really, so really expanded itself and let you guys be the most creative? <sighs> um. You know, I'd probably say it's the new word coming out in April of next year, or mm. this year, excuse me. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's the word trust, you know, and that, that word is just so powerful. It means so much. Um, and as a baseball player, it really resonated with me, you know, due to like, you need to trust yourself on that field. You need to trust yourself in that box. Like you don't have any time for doubt. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, that that's probably word allowed the most creativity um just all sorts of aspects of life again for any mariners fans that want to go check it out it's called epic soul we'll link it in our bios and everything like that it it is really really cool if we're going to move on to baseball a little bit man there's so many different places i guess we could start i'll start by going all the way back to 2021 i'll take you back to baltimore i think you know where i'm going with this okay when you hit that ball out onto utah street like is that the farthest ball you've ever hit? Probably. <laughs> I don't. I don't hit many long home runs like that. And you know, I. I think when I hit it, it was just kind of a surreal moment because I, when I hit home runs, like I sprint the bases. They're they're only doubles in my head until all of a sudden I realize I don't have to run as hard. Um, but yeah, getting a plaque out there in Utah Street was pretty special. When did you know once the ball landed and you you had an idea like where it landed? Did you know that Griffey was the only other guy at that point that had done it no. for the Mariners? So it's like, no. yep, we're talking about 
Mariners who have only achieved this one thing in the 140-year history of Major League Baseball. It's Ken Griffey Jr. and Sam Haggerty. Let's go, Sam. Yeah, not too often would I thought my name would be in the same sentence as his. Hey, you'll take that. You can. You should put that everywhere. But yeah. I, I think there's another name on it now. I think Cal's on that list. But yeah. it's a good. It's a good run. Still a good list. <laughs> yeah, still still a good list. Did you make sure when you were out there to go go see Griffey's as well? His was way further than mine, you guys. Like his is on the <laughs> building, and mine like just got far enough to land on the street. Did you, when did you find out that you were only the second guy to do it? Yeah, I think I think it was like the following day, or maybe like right as the series ended, somebody had mentioned it. Like, there's only two people to ever have a plaque on Utah Street. And I'm like, how's that possible? We play the Orioles every single year for decades. But so, what was cooler then, that or hitting a home run over the monster? Hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean. I'd probably say the plaque because there's there's evidence that it actually occurred. Um, <laughs> I'd probably say the plaque. That's cool. Hey, there's a video of your your Fenway home run. Yeah, that one that was a fun one. My my uh, father and my brother were actually in attendance for that one. Oh, that's pretty cool. Were were they sitting up on the monster or somewhere else? I don't think so. Okay, <laughs> I'm not sure where they were at. I've got another pick, one or the other for you. Do you enjoy hitting a tape measure home run better? Or hitting an inside the park home run better like the one in Texas? Uh, probably inside the park. That was a blast. Um, I'm not sure there's many more more exhilarating plays on a baseball field than an inside the park home run. So at what point of that do you realize you have a chance? Once once it got past them, I was like, all right, we got to give it a chance. And then the plays behind you, you know, after you hit second base, so you're kind of just looking at Maniac to like, what do we got here, dude? I'm kind of running out of gas, but let me know. And he says, keep coming. And you're just like, okay, this is it. Now I could understand the hesitance in that moment. Cause obviously you don't want to cost your team a run. And I'm going to ask you, have you gotten thrown out attempting one before? No, you got, I, I think that might've been my first true inside the park home run in my career. Oh, there we go. So, so we'll right. keep it with one for your just career. Stop at third. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep it at a hundred percent. No more. You don't need to attempt another one. I like it. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to differ on that opinion. Sam wants to go for another inside the park home run. I'm not telling him no. So okay. <laughs> when you see the ball get past Tavares in center field, like I'd have to imagine your eyes just start to light up because off the bat, you probably think it's a single just back up the box. Is it a similar reaction when you see that ball get past him to say when a hitter sees a cement mixing breaking ball where it's like, oh, like eyes light up. You get really excited. <laughs> I mean, it's probably a, it's probably a little bit more because the cement mixer, like you can still miss it, you can still pop it up, and like you still got to hit that thing. But once it got past them, it was. I mean, it's all green. It was a green light go. Late, Sam, later in that 2022 season, all Mariners fans remember the clinch. And funny enough, you're the first person from that team who we've had on here. So we got to get the inside scoop when Cal hits that ball. A, where were you? B, what like what do you just remember about that moment? I was actually on deck, you guys. And in my head, Cal was going to walk and I was going to hit the home run. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and after he hit that home run, I'll be honest with you, I kind of blacked out. I don't really remember much, but I have seen this picture float around where I'm like standing just off home plate 
looking up at the sky in just sort of astonishment. And then, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you the next 30, 40 minutes. It was just, you know, a culmination of a whole year of 21 years. And you could feel it in that stadium. Did you have an idea of exactly what you were going to do for whatever you were going to do at the plate? <laughs> it was going to look just like Kels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I was going to ask is, do you have like even a me- like much memory from how you reacted when that thing happened? Because I heard Ty France tell a similar story where it's like, I guess I grabbed the gum bucket, but I just remember blacking out and running out there. So it sounds like for you and probably for a lot of guys, it was kind of the same thing that you can't even remember. No, I mean, I, if I, if I hadn't had that picture to show me exactly what I was doing in that moment, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. Do you think you were able to really grasp the emotion of the moment? No. I mean, just because I, I haven't been a Mariners fan for 21 years and I, I haven't gone through what that city's gone through and then to to finally break that that sort of drought. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no, I, but you, you try. Did, would talking to a guy like Matt Boyd help? I mean, his interview in the clubhouse after that was one of the best things I've ever seen from mm-hmm. a professional baseball player. I know, like a lot of you guys, you're very, you're very professional. It's like, hey, this is cool. We clinched. Job's not done. But like mm-hmm. Matt knew what the moment was because he yeah. lived it. He lived through all of it and now mm-hmm. has got to be a part of that team. And I like, it's just the coolest thing to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see a motion like that out of anybody, um, you know, let alone a player to give you that sort of emotion and passion. And you, you'd see that out of fans as well. And that's, that's the beauty of sports. So you said for about 30 or 40 minutes, like, you feel like you can't even remember what happened next. Like, when does the memory start? Like, when do you start to kind of come to your senses of, like, what's going on? Is it, in, is it during the clubhouse party? I don't even know how quickly this situation occurred, but I remember, like, running around the field with my teammates and kind of the, the entire warning track. And that, in that moment, at times, you were just like, wow, I'm doing this. Like, we did this. Nobody has left the stadium. We're, we're running around, you know, talking and, and giving high fives. And you're just kind of like, this is incredible. So uh, almost as important as the clinch itself is the feeling in the lineup next day. What's it like being part of a hangover lineup? <laughs> I mean, I knew I was going to be in there. Um, that's definitely <laughs> my role in, in what I, what I needed to do. Uh, so I, I tried to keep it under control that night. I tried to get some sleep that night um, because, like you said, the job's not done. There's still another game tomorrow. And even more importantly, we got playoffs coming up and stay sharp, uh, stay competitive, stay hungry. Light bench, too. Light bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? You did your job that day because I don't even know if you remember. You drove in three runs the next day. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. How long did that clubhouse party go on that night? I mean, it probably depends on who you talk to, um, but I'm sure some of the, the staff and the, the clubhouse staff and the, you know, the employees, they probably ran it up a little bit longer knowing they didn't have to suit it up the next day. Um, you know, but it's just, it's euphoria in that clubhouse and you're, you're thanking and you're so happy for, you know, six hard months of work. It really stunk for you, Sam, though, because the next series you get hurt and you don't get to participate. I mean, 
have you have you ever been more disappointed? That that was a tough one, you know, because one of my goals is to make a playoff roster, um, and I can't say that I've done that yet. So I still want to accomplish that. I, I still want to be um, one of thirteen position players when we play a wild card game or a divisional series game. So you know that was hard, um, but it's part of the game, and. You know, your teammates got to pick you up, and that's that's just baseball. Did you know right away after sliding into second base, or were you kind of hoping maybe it's a day-to-day thing? No, I, I knew right away. It um, it felt like somebody shot me from the third deck, um, <laughs> and I was on crutches for probably four or five days afterwards. And you know, I, I even kind of struggled to come back in 2023. I I was slow to spring training, kind of slow getting out of the gates, and. You know, it's just a it's a sensitive area and somewhere that doesn't doesn't rehab very easily. Yeah, that makes sense. Because so, how long was that recovery process then? I mean, I I, I would say like I wasn't a hundred percent myself until probably late April. Hmm. Um, you know, I could still do my job at the level I needed to do it, but that that confidence that um you know, that no doubt that I can jump into a net or make a crazy slide or, or do some of those, you know, acrobatic things might have not been quite there until, you know, maybe a month into the season. Sam, I want to dial it back to when you were probably learning baseball and more specifically learning how to switch hit. When does, when did you learn and really start dedicating yourselves to hitting both sides of the plate? Uh, it's probably going to surprise you, but I didn't start until I was 16. I feel, like, uh, I feel like that's a good a good time to start. Yeah, again, like I was a small middle infielder, right-handed hitter from Denver, Colorado, with very little interest from any schools. And I had a coach tell me, he goes, hey, man, you're, you're kind of fast. It might help if you hit left-handed. And from that day forward, I started brushing my teeth left-handed, hitting left-handed, trying to do as much stuff as I could left-handed to just make myself more valuable. Or you're actually serious with all the like left-handed stuff outside of the box. Yes. Wow. So does that help? Yeah. I mean, I like right now I throw a uh, baseball left-handed a lot, like probably three, four times a week hmm. um, just to teach myself body coordination, hand-eye coordination, transferring of weight, um, you know, all those little fine motor skills that you get when you truly are left-handed. I think you should play a trick on everybody if they get, if the Mariners again make the playoffs this season and they get down to the end of the season and the games don't really matter as much and they throw you out there at shortstop, just, like pull a, pull a quick one on them, put put the glove on the on the other hand and, and uh, do at least one throw left-handed. Maybe in warm-ups. Maybe I'll do that for you in warm-ups. Okay. I think that would be funny. <laughs> yeah, or even I was going to say, even in, if it's like a spring training game and, you know, or even spring training practice and, you know, there's cameras on you and stuff. Yeah. Just all of a sudden start throwing the ball left handed and you mm-hmm. just borrow somebody's left handed glove and make everybody go like, what in the world is going on? What is he doing? Like, I've had, I've had a few people ask me that, like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, maybe I'll pitch left handed this year. You never know, guys. That. That would be sick. If you if you get in in one of these blowout games, especially if the team's winning by a lot and you get up there, and again, maybe you don't want to actually pitch in a live game left-handed, but if you were warming up left-handed on the mound, mm-hmm. oh, that would that would stir things up. Absolutely. What's your left-handed arsenal look like? 
it's very subpar. You guys lower those expectations. Just because I practice throwing left hand does not mean it's very pretty. You're telling me you can't break out a Barry Zito curveball. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Oh. <laughs> how okay, in all seriousness, how many swings a day did you have to start taking left-handed when you really dedicated yourself to switch hitting? Because I think I remember Chipper Jones talking about when he started at a really young age, it was two hundred from each side or something like that every day. Like what did you have to do? It it was a lot. I did a lot of like one handed, left handed swinging um a a bunch of it you know and it definitely like a two to one ratio from left-handed swinging to right-handed swinging you know i think probably the biggest if if anybody was to ask me you know advice on switch hitting as a young kid i would say like if you want to be a switch hitter you have to commit to it and what i mean by that is i went to a travel ball tournament when i was 16 and i told this team i go i switch hit and i like i had just started hitting left-handed in the first game we played, there was a right-handed pitcher, and I said, dude, you better walk up there left-handed, else everybody's going to call you a liar. And so it's really just like it's total commitment to being a switch hitter, you know, ride the highs and ride the lows. Speaking of riding the lows, uh, like there is an adjustment period. So like, how would you do in that tournament? I, you know, I battled. You know, I okay. mean, I, I definitely battled. I wasn't hitting any home runs, but I was putting the bat on the ball. I got a few hits. I, I took a walk or two. You know, I – you know, I think I, I think they thought I was a switch hitter. <laughs> I think because I think you'd step up there left-handed, and you're you're still working through it, and eventually you're going to have your struggles. Yeah, I mean, you struggle on your good side, but what about you struggle on the side that you're working through? And were I would imagine there were some people coming to you and being like, "What? Like, what are you doing? Like, cut this out." Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I my high school coach, he we were we were playing in like. I don't know when we were playing. It might have been fall or something like that. Or, and he goes, hey, man, if you want to switch hit, I'm going to hit you in the nine hole. And if you'd like to hit leadoff, you can just hit right-handed. And I go, man, you just put me in the nine hole. Because I, I just I had to do it. I, I had to do it in order to get where I wanted to go. Yeah, that's a sacrifice right there, I, for especially for a teenager to make. You, I mean, you want, you want all the attention. Like, uh, I, I will do the general high school player, what I would imagine what I would have wanted when I played. I mean, yeah, bat leadoff or bat ninth. It's not a, not a hard discussion. Mm-hmm. Got I try to try to see the future, try to see the long game. And it, it worked out for you. Yeah, it did. How old were you when you hit your first home run from the left side? I was probably 16. I probably got one that, that season. Oh, okay. So the adjustment period wasn't that long. Like you started to get into the flow of it. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I, I used to play like wiffle ball left-handed. So I had a little bit of a knack to swing a bat left-handed. Um, you know, it wasn't completely foreign because uh, I just always mess around in the backyard as a kid, like doing stuff, all sorts of stuff. So I had a bit of a foundation to, to start with. Okay. I've got to ask about the walk-up song. I read on your college bio, you love The Godfather. It's one of your favorite movies. Is that the inspiration behind the song, using it? Yeah, I mean... A lot of it's for my mother and my family back in Detroit. Um, you know, very 100% Italian family. I can remember going back there every summer as a kid. And, you know, there seven houses on the block all belong to somebody in the family. And you, you have dinner at one. You play cards at another. You got dessert at another. You go play cards at another house. And, you know, it just it reminds me of home. It reminds me of my mother. And, you know, it's a little bit different, um, you know, and it, I 
I enjoy that that violin. What's well, the most Italian thing you do? I mean, probably since I was one a year old, my mom has cooked sauce on Sunday every Sunday. So you hold yourself to that? I hold my mother to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but well, um, yeah, I mean, every Sunday that we're at home, she's got a huge pot of sauce. Okay. Every Sunday. What about you by yourself on Sundays? Well, a lot of times I'm on the baseball field traveling, so I, I unfortunately I don't get that that great homemade cooking. I'll ask you the same thing we asked Dom Canzone. So you call it sauce over gravy? It sounds like. Yes, it's sauce in our house. Okay. Does the does the walk up song fire you up? Like it sounds like you have a very good reason for picking it, but like when you hear it, when you walk to the plate, like it is a little bit on the slower side, right? Like, do you still get the juices flowing when you hear that? Absolutely. And I'll be honest with you guys, I might hear it like 50% of the time. Okay. You know, sometimes you're just so in the zone, you you can't hear anything around you. Um, but yeah, it does get me fired up because it's it's unique. Um, you know, sometimes I'll sense like pitchers look at me like, what is this? And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, listen to it. <laughs> Throwing you off your game. Exactly. Is there any other like good Italian music you'd consider or is like it's Godfather written in stone and that's it? I mean, there's some other songs that I got uh, in the works, but, you know, it, it wouldn't have the probably the same result as The Godfather just due to the iconic movie, um, you know, Martin Brando. So we'll see. Were you using it in the minor leagues, too? No, I've always like kind of switched my walk up song around. And, you know, I like I like a lot of different music. And so I've I've played with a bunch of different different versions. Um but I don't know, something about The Godfather struck me in 2022, and I've just kind of rolled with it. What other kind of music has been your walk-up song? Man, I've had Queen, I've had uh, Billy Squire, I've had 2 Chains, I've had uh, The Game. Like, it's it's a long variety. That's a diverse set right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's stretching the timeline. Like, that's going yeah. from generation to generation. Yeah. Okay, Sam, we've got... Five kind of wrap-up questions for you that we try to do with a lot of the players just to try to let fans get to know you guys a little bit better. First one we've got for you is your go-to pregame and post-game meal is what? Go-to pregame meal. I eat pretty light before the games. Like I'm a big like bowl of fruit with maybe some like rice and chicken. Like not heavy. I don't like to be feel heavy when I go play the game. Post-game. Give me, give me all the food, all the carbs, all the protein. Um, try to refuel. Like, what's one thing you always want to have though after the game? To be honest with you guys, it's probably ice cream. Really, good choice. That's probably my like one staple that like I will go out of my way to get. It's good. Do they any, have anything specific? Any? What's up? Oh, do you ha- do they have ice cream in the clubhouse for you guys? Yeah, we got a little soft serve machine. Okay. Mm. Just a little tiny vanilla cone, a sweet treat, and I'm good. Okay. I like that. I mean, they they have one in the press box, one of those soft serve machines, but I figured maybe they keep that stuff out of the clubhouse. We got it in there. We got it in there. Well, there you go. Okay. Second question, Sam, is your top three favorite TV shows ever? Oh, um, top three TV shows. I'd probably say. Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, and Suits. Mm-hmm. Yes! Yes! That, yes! That's, 
That's right up TJ's alley. That's like two of, or maybe all three, at least two of the three are his favorites. I'm a big Harvey Specter guy. I love Harvey. He's great. (laughs) He's awesome. (laughs) I can say I watched Game of Thrones. I haven't like fully watched the other two through. I think it's got to be on my bucket list. I've heard too many of those answers, both Suits and Breaking Bad, to not watch it all the way through. Well, I went to school in Albuquerque, and so mm-hmm. like I've been to Walter White's house. I've seen some of the restaurants and like the 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 you know the locations in the show. So that kind of drew it to me. You did, know. did you get yelled at by the homeowner? No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you imagine like people just driving up to that house. People were like, "Can you go away, please?" Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> okay, third one we got best and worst baseball road trip you've ever made this can include the minor leagues best and worst baseball road trip i mean the best is definitely got to be like a swing through new york and boston um those they their foods there's unbelievable uh worst road trip that you're going to like the minor leagues maybe the new york penn league I played at Mahoning Valley Scrappers, and we were the most Western team in the league. And I think it was like a 16-hour bus trip to, like, New Hampshire or Vermont or something, and then a bus trip to somewhere. I mean, it just felt like I lived my whole life on a bus. But it was like a week, I think. (laughs) It felt like forever. Okay, next up, what would you be doing if you weren't playing baseball? You know, I, I probably would be a day trader. I think I would want to learn and study the candlestick charts. All right. (laughs) Anything specifically or like, or just in general? Uh, Probably like trade currencies um, for the most part, but you know, I think it'd be exhilarating. Read the news in the mornings, pick a position, uh, set a limit and try to have a good day. So does that mean we're putting you on Wall Street, or are you like more of a, a, a like a self-employed? Self-employed. Self-employed. Okay. All right. God, I can't even imagine doing that. Like it, it feels almost too much like sports betting to me in, in in some sort of way. But maybe maybe you've got a different take on it. Got to study the charts, study the candles. Got to study them. <laughs> okay. And the last one we've got for you, Sam. Your favorite all-time baseball player. Ah oh, man, people have asked me this before. You know, somebody who I really liked as a kid was Eric Chavez. Mm. And I really don't know why, but when I was in the backyard, I I wanted to be Eric Chavez. Um, I thought the A's were really cool with Miguel Tejado, Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, that whole crew. And, you know, I think I played third base. I was like nine years old playing third base on a 12-year-old team. And so I was Eric Chavez. So that's my answer. Oh, so you probably feel like Moneyball left out a lot of stuff, don't you? Because, I mean, look, it's a great movie. I love it. But you, you got to think to yourself, like, Tejada won the MVP that year. And I think Tim, Tim Hudson won the Cy Young that year. They had Chavez. It's like they just kind of leave all that out. Yeah, they, they focused on, you know, definitely the, the storyline that they were trying to, you know, reveal in that whole thing, uh, the Bill James stuff. But, yeah, the team was loaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> Sam, this has been awesome. We have had a blast talking with you. Hopefully Mariners fans got to not just know a little bit more about you, but the clothing brand as well. And we certainly hope we get to do it again soon. Right. Thank you for having me on, you guys. Great conversation with Sam Haggerty. Before we wrap up the show, a word from BetterHelp. 
Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash pod. Well, we hope you guys enjoy the interview with Sam Haggerty. He is the man. We love talking to him. And we are looking forward to catching up with him more, both in spring training and when the season rolls around, because he is a really fun guy. And cheers to more home runs onto Utah Street for Sam. He's got to he's got to put himself back out there again. Yeah, if if he's from the left side, next time the Mariners are in Camden Yards, all he needs is the opportunities, right? Like like the situation has to play because not only do the Mariners have to be in Baltimore, but Sam also has to be hitting from the left side. So got to be the right scenario. But let's hope he can do it again. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe he can. Maybe he can hit one farther than he did the first time. Quite a list of the first two out there in Mariners history, Ken Griffey Jr. and Sam Haggerty. (laughs) What a guy. What a guy. I mean, pretty cool. It is quite the list. And like Sam said, it's quite the list to be on. So, yeah, he was great. We we love talking to him. And one more time, for those of you who haven't checked out Epic Soul yet, go check it out. It's really cool. We encourage you to go check it out. Again, all the links will be in the description. So. I'm sure Sam would really appreciate it, and he's working really hard at it. So, it, Or if you want to just check him out on social media, too, you can find him there. So, yeah, epic soul one more time. All right. I think that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so wherever you find your audio pods. Make sure to download. Make sure to leave us that five-star review. It helps us out a ton. If you like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. That does as well. That's where our full video podcast is. You can also check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.